0: Uh, Can anyone tell me who sang Life is a Roller Coaster? Sorry? Ronan Keating in 2000. Decent tune, lyrics were rubbish. But I think we'd all agree with the analogy. Life is a roller coaster. And we've all experienced and do experience the ups and downs and the twists and turns and the highs... And lows. And when you think about the Christian life, the comparison still works. There are high points in being a Christian, there are low moments. Times when there's a real buzz, a definite sense of excitement and adventure, and other times whenever it just feels like an uphill struggle. And it's slow going. And you're wondering what's round the next corner, and you know, you know that it can all change. So quickly. The Christian life often feels like a spiritual roller coaster ride. Well, in part five of Man and the Age, we come to a day, a 24 hour time slot or thereabouts, in the life of Moses whenever he and Aaron went from a spiritual high to a spiritual low. And the drop left them feeling pretty dazed and confused. And if you have a Bible, can I invite you to turn to Exodus chapter 5? It's page 61 in the Red Pew Bibles. And if you, if you are able to see a copy of God's Word as we go through this, it would be, it would be very helpful. Exodus 5 or page 61. And last week, you'll remember, we, we looked at a very low point in Moses' life whenever God showed up to kill him. It turned out that Moses had blatantly disobeyed God. There was an area of his personal life where he was making choices to do his own thing rather than do the right thing. And God was not prepared to let it go. And so he showed up to kill Moses. Why? Because holiness matters. Wholehearted surrender total commitment to God matters especially in the life of a leader well thankfully for Moses and with the help of his wife his hidden secret was brought out into the open it was brought into the light it was challenged and it was dealt with and as a result we read in Exodus four twenty six, so the Lord let him alone in other words God decided to spare his life But not long afterwards, and and this is where we left it last Sunday, Moses went from a low point to a real high point in his journey with God. Whenever he saw significant prayers answered, and it seemed like things were starting to fall into place, Moses and Aaron had met with the elders, you'll remember. They met with the people of Israel. They told them everything. They performed at least two, probably three, miraculous signs, And in response, we read, the people believed. And when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and about the scene their misery, they bowed down in worship. It's a real high point. And Moses and Aaron must have been buzzing because this was exciting. Serving God was good. And so now it's time for a showdown with Pharaoh, which is where we pick up the story at the start of chapter 5. Now, you'll remember that God had been briefed, or Moses had been briefed by God. And Moses was told, listen, Pharaoh's not going to let the people go easily. And so Moses was probably expecting a frosty response from Pharaoh. But he clearly wasn't prepared for what actually happened. When Moses got up that morning, he was in a good place. Given what had just happened, very recently with the elders and the people, he was in a good place. He's ready to face the world. He's ready to take on the challenges of a new day. But by the time he climbs back into bed, his enthusiasm's gone. From where what must have felt like the crest of a wave, he finds himself frustrated, disillusioned, and wrestling with a whole bunch of questions, including the classic Why? Why, God? And there might be some people here this morning and that's a question you're wrestling with. Why? From a spiritual high to a spiritual low in no time at all. From that mountain to valley in a matter of days, maybe even a matter of hours. From thinking he could change the world from wishing he'd never tried. And I'll guarantee you that at some level we've all been there. We've all had that experience. Times whenever our Christian life felt so vibrant. So alive. So real. Prayers were answered. God seemed to be at the work in the lives of so many people around us. And then in what feels like a very short space of time you're up against it. And God appears absent. And prayer is difficult. And it seems to make little or absolutely no difference at all. And you've got more questions than answers. And if you're here this morning, and you can kind of identify with anything I've just been saying, then I hope that as we journey with Moses this morning, we'll make some connections and discover fresh perspective. You see, life... The Christian life is a roller coaster. The thing is, nobody, and certainly not God, ever said it was going to be an easy ride. God never said the Christian life was straightforward. It was smooth. It was predictable. In fact, what Moses experienced here is part and parcel of life with God. It just goes with the territory of Christian discipleship and service. In fact, it actually provides the context and the perfect conditions for growth and learning. And so if you're, or if you've come to church today and you are a Christian, and it feels like you're at a bit of a low point, temperatures dropped, things are not how they once were, maybe not that long ago you're going through the mill you've tried to make a difference and actually your intervention or your involvement just seems to be making things worse then I really do hope and pray that in these next sort of 15 minutes or so you'll discover hope wherever you're at the key question is this how are you responding what are you learning no matter where you are this morning verse 1 let's read it afterwards that's how it begins in other words just after the uplifting spiritual experience that he had with the people and with the elders afterwards Moses and Aaron went to see Pharaoh and said Somehow, Moses has been granted an audience with Pharaoh. He's the most powerful, influential person in the whole land. He's the king. He's like a god. But Moses and Aaron stand before him and boldly make major demands. Here's what they say. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival for me to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh reacts. Here's how he reacts. Who is the Lord that I should obey him? Who is the Lord that I should honor him? That I should listen to him. That I should give him his place. That I should take him seriously. I don't know the Lord and I won't let the people go. It's a mixture of unbelief and rebellion. And it's what happens in here. It's what happens in God's word time and time again. And it's what happens in and around us in our world on a daily basis. This refusal to acknowledge who God is this refusal to take God at his word or honor him with lives of worship and obedience, which at the end of the day is sin. And those who persist in belief, unbelief and rebellion will never have the last word. Moses dismisses God and his request. Moses and Aaron are probably a little taken back by the reaction. But they're not altogether surprised. Moses is thinking, okay, yes, God did say this guy's heart was hard. In fact, God actually told me he had hardened Moses' heart, or Pharaoh's heart, and he was going to resist. And so Moses and Aaron come back at Pharaoh, and here is what they say, verse 3. The God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. Moses and Aaron now give Pharaoh a little more information regarding the festival. It's a six-day round trip. Three days out, three days back. And it's going to include some sacrifices, so we're going to need to take livestock. And then Moses and Aaron try to help Pharaoh realize that the God he's dealing with here is not to be messed with. Look at the last line of verse 3. Because here, Moses makes the point... That if Pharaoh doesn't say yes to this request. Then God is going to strike Moses and Aaron and the Israelites with plagues and the sword. Now given what had happened to Moses at the lodging place in chapter 4. Whenever God did show up to kill him. Moses isn't joking here. Moses is stressing to Pharaoh, you need to take God seriously. You need to take his demands seriously. Or maybe, maybe Moses was hoping that Pharaoh might be more inclined to give the workforce a week off to attend the festival if he thinks they might go off in the sick for a week if he says No. Whatever Moses and Aaron hoped would happen, didn't. As far as Pharaoh's concerned, these two guys are just getting in the way. And they're threatening to disrupt production. And so Pharaoh says no. Only he says more than no. And this is the bit that Moses and Aaron cannot have seen coming. This is the bit that takes the wind out of their sails. This is the bit that plunges them into despair spiritual high to spiritual low and we all know what happens next look at verse 6 and how it starts that same day this is all happening 24 hour time slot that same day pharaoh summons the egyptian slave drivers and the israelite foremen the overseers and he turns up the heat He increases the workload to an impossible level. He demands the same daily output in terms of bricks made. Quota doesn't alter. But instead of the raw materials for the bricks being delivered to the Israelites, he makes the people go in search of the straw for themselves. And as a result, the daily quotas aren't met. And therefore, the Egyptian slave drivers beat and badger the Israelite foremen. and they go to see pharaoh and they go to see pharaoh to plead their case and pharaoh says to them you're just plain lazy and that's why you're asking for a week off to attend this festival and therefore nothing changes verse 18 you will not be given any straw you must produce the full quota of bricks And at this point, according to verse 19, the Israelite four men realize they're in trouble, which is an understatement. And when they walk out of their meeting with Pharaoh, who's waiting for them? Just outside. Moses and Aaron. Why? Because they're clearly anxious to get an update. They're hoping for some good news. Hoping against all hope for some positive developments. But that's not going to happen. Actually, things are about to get a lot worse. Because now the Israelites, who only a short time ago, probably the previous day, believed in Moses and Aaron. Thought they were their deliverers, their saviors. Now, they can't stand them. And they want God to look on them and judge them. As far as they're concerned, Moses and Aaron have wrecked everything. The Egyptians didn't like them before, but now thanks to these two brothers, the Israelites have become, according to verse 21, we have become obnoxious to the Egyptians, We're like an offensive smell in their nostrils is what that really means. It's all your fault, Moses and Aaron. It's all your fault. And worse still, just look at this. It's as if you too have signed our death warrant. Because here's what the Israelite foremen say. You have put a sword in their hands to kill us. Thanks a lot, Moses. And I want you to try to imagine how Moses and Aaron are feeling. If you can. You're standing there. You're hearing this. You're taking this. Your own people can't stand you. 24 hours earlier, they loved you. They had only done what they thought was right. They had only said what they were convinced was the right thing to say. They had been obedient to God's call and God's word. They had tried to follow God's will, God's way. And yet they found themselves dismissed, rejected, And ignored by Pharaoh, which was one thing, but despised, hated, and rejected by the very people they were trying to help. And I think it's fair to say, this is a low point. This is a spiritually low point. The bottom has just fallen out of their spiritual world. They've gone from being in a great place very recently to now being in a miserable place. Don't rush on too quickly with this story. Just pause here. This is hard. This is uncomfortable. This is not how it's meant to be, serving God. And therefore, no wonder Moses has questions. And I know so many people, self-included at times, It seems to have more questions than answers when it comes to serving God. Why? Here is a man on the edge. And you try to live for God. Courageously, at times, you try to live for God. And yet, you're often misunderstood, and you're judged, and you're dismissed. Even by the very people you're trying to help. That still happens. And it's hard to take and it's hard to get your head round. Or you're soaring on wings like eagles one day and then you're grounded the next. And you've got questions, lots of them. But I want us to note from this incident... Where does Moses turn with his questions? Where does he go in the wake of personal criticism? Because he probably wanted to react to the Israelite four men. He probably wanted to attempt to justify why he was doing what he was doing. He probably wanted to make excuses. But according to verse 22, and this is critical. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Why, Lord? Moses returned to the Lord and said, why, Lord? And whenever we're facing a challenge, whenever we're struggling to understand what is going on in our Christian lives, what is going on in the world around us, that our first port of call, our primary reference point has got to be God. You've got to take your questions, your doubts, and your frustrations to the Lord. Don't immediately voice off to other people. Don't turn your back on God. Why? Why take it to God? Well, one, he's big enough to hear what you've got to say. Two, he's the one who's called, equipped, and empowered you to live this life. Three, he's the main one who will deal with you where you're at, and he'll teach you lessons through the experience. And so Moses asks, why, Lord? But look at this. Look what he says. Why have you, God, brought trouble on this people? See, there's almost a sense here where Moses is apportioning blame. God, this is your fault. God, you've let this happen. And I know this is dangerous territory whenever you get to that point, whenever you start Blaming God. And you start saying, God, you let this happen. Why? But although it's dangerous territory, I'll guarantee every single one of us has been there at some point. And then Moses moves from why, Lord, to why me? End of verse 22. Look at it. Is this why you sent me? Or in another translation, New Living Translation, which I know many of you use, why did you send me? It's as if Moses is making the point that he knew he wasn't the right person for the job and now he's just been proved right. And he goes on. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble in this people. And then hear this. God, you have not rescued your people at all. I did what I thought was the right thing. Everything's gone pear-shaped. The situation's got worse, not better. And into the bargain, it seems like what you said you would do, you haven't done. And now, Moses questions, and this is serious. Moses questions God's word. And God's promises. And I'm not endorsing And I'm certainly not condoning his behavior. But if I'm really honest, I find a huge amount of encouragement and comfort here. Moses, the great leader, the deliverer, the savior of his people, the Hebrews 11 man of faith, the friend of God as he's described in Exodus 22. Moses wobbled at times. Moses questioned God. Moses queried the promises of God. He experienced the highs and lows of Christian life. But here's what I am endorsing. It's this tendency, this willingness, and this practice of asking these questions, of wrestling with these issues, were in direct relationship, dialogue, and engagement with God. Moses is not in a good place, but he's talking to God. He's staying connected to God. He's expressing his concerns before God. He's putting himself in that place where he can hear God. And the worst thing we can do whenever we hit a spiritual low, whenever we feel like things are not the way they're meant to be, whenever it all seems to be going wrong around us and we've got more questions than answers, the worst thing we can do is disconnect ourselves from the relationship we have with our Father. To stop praying. To stop reading his word. Or disconnect ourselves from other Christians so we stop going to church. Moses returns to the Lord with his angst And what I love about this is that God doesn't just leave him hanging there. He speaks directly and powerfully into his life and into his situation and into his circumstances. Beginning of chapter 6, look at this. Then the Lord said to Moses. And I want to read these next eight verses. And I would like us to stand as as we do this. So if, if you are able to, can I invite you to just stand for this next bit. But as I read this, I want you to also notice... there's no rebuke there's no shouting at Moses for having the questions there's no reprimand for struggling but listen as God speaks into his life and brings fresh perspective verse 2 I am the Lord I appeared to Abraham, Isaac and to Jacob as God Almighty But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan where they reside as foreigners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore, say this to the Israelites, I am the Lord. And I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. And I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Take a seat. Nearly done. Four times in there. Four times. don't know if you noticed this. Four times. I am the Lord. And as God speaks, he punctuates his message by reminding Moses who he is. I am who I am. Let's go back to that self-igniting desert plant. I am who I am. And by repeating this, and he repeats it four times here, he repeats it once again before the end of the chapter. But by repeating this, he clarifies his identity. And God is urging Moses and reminding him to remain focused on the I am rather than on his circumstances. Stay focused on me, Moses, not on what you're going through. And what was true then is still true today. Do you know we will only ever be able to deal with the hassles, the low points, the opposition, the questions, and the difficult days. We will only ever be able to deal with those when we are focused on God. Charles Swindle puts it like this, until your eyes are fixed on the Lord, you will not be able to endure those days that go from bad to worse. And the New Testament affirms this idea. Doesn't it? Because where does the New Testament encourage those of us who are disciples of Jesus Christ to fix our eyes? On Jesus. The author perfecter of your faith. And so wherever you're at, whatever you're going through at the moment, it's vital, it's essential that you stay focused on God. If you lose sight of the great I am, If you lose sight of God's character, his love, his grace, his mercy, his patience, his forgiveness, his majesty, his holiness, his faithfulness, if you lose sight of God, your circumstances may consume you. And God reminds Moses who he is. And then he reveals what he's going to do. Verse 2 God says this Now you will see what I will do. And then he says he's going to do seven things. Here are seven promises. You heard me emphasizing them. I'll bring the people out. I will free you from being slaves. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm. I will take you as my own people. I will be your God. I will bring you to the land. I will give it to you as a possession. I am, therefore I will. It's brilliant. I am, therefore I will. This is who I am, Moses. This is what I'm going to do. And this is exactly what God did. It's exactly what God did, only that's rushing far too far ahead. For now, Moses needs to know that although it doesn't look like it or seem like it, that although his current circumstances make little or no sense, God is still God. God is still in control. God is still trustworthy, still faithful. God is still at work in and through Moses. He is still accomplishing his purposes in his time and in his way. And for us, thousands of years later, nothing whatsoever has changed. God is still God. God is still active. But please hear this. Serving him, Being in relationship with him is going to involve inevitable testing. There are going to be challenging circumstances to confront and either you welcome those as friends or you resent them as intruders. Sometimes things get a lot worse before they get a lot better. The question is, how are you responding to the highs and lows of the spiritual life? And what are you learning about yourself? And what are you learning about God in each and every circumstance you're in? Christian life is a roller coaster. Moses is going to experience many more ups and downs, twists and turns before his journey's over. And so will you and I but let's constantly keep returning to God. Why? In order to renew our focus. And remember this, you often learn the most through the toughest times. Wish it was different, but it seems to be the way it works.